Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Adam and Brooke, what a day. Today has been a long time coming, huh? It's been a long time coming. You've walked a long road to get here and you've navigated through some tough stuff like having your venue burned down. That's a first. I've not had that happen with any couple yet. You've had some tough stuff. You've had some family members get sick, a lot of other things in between, and, uh, but here you are. Here we are. Here we are. All the planning, all the preparation, all the details, it's all come together. On Tuesday, early this week, uh, I got an email from Adam and Brooke. Um, it was, uh, had an attachment to it. It was a, an Excel spreadsheet that had a minute-by-minute detailed plan of what was going to be happening beginning, I think, Sunday. I don't know. I mean, it was unbelievable. I, 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 stu- I studied it as best I could. Uh, I didn't want to get in trouble with Brooke. I'm sure she's got a, a walkie-talkie in that dress somewhere. Everyone who's here, guys, everyone who's here, just turn around for a second. I want you to, you, you guys turn around. Look at, just look at everyone around you. Look at that. Everyone who's here loves you. They love you. And they're all from different seasons and, seasons and parts of your life. And they're all here because they are so thrilled to witness you guys lay down your lives for each other. We're so thrilled. I'm so thrilled. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Father Patrick Schultz. Uh, I'm a priest from Cleveland, and uh, I've gotten to know Brooke and Adam over the years in my work with Damascus, and it was my honor and my privilege to walk with them in marriage prep these past uh, many, many months, many, many months. One of the things that I was thinking about when I was preparing for your homily here, I was thinking about how I, I think it's so very prophetic that of all the parishes you could have gotten married in, that St. Paul the Apostle is where you are being married. That this parish, under the patronage of the Apostle to the Gentiles, is where you are laying your lives down. St. Paul, who of course wrote the majority of the New Testament, St. Paul, who was an impassioned Pharisee before he was an impassioned Christian, St. Paul, who met the Lord on the road to... Say it like you mean it. There you go. And subsequently became... A tireless preacher of the gospel, right? St. Paul, who suffered so much, whose whole life was given over to mission. His whole life, he was caught up into the missio, the mission of Jesus, which was to bring to bear into the world the gospel of the kingdom, to announce to the world that Israel's Messiah has come. Like his name is Yeshua, King Jesus sits on the throne. And he's overthrown the powers of sin and death and hell and Satan. And we need not fear anymore the great tyrants of sin and death because they've been defeated. They've been defeated. The ancient foe has been conquered and sin is abolished because of what Jesus did on the cross. That we have been rescued, we've been redeemed. And St. Paul, what drove him to walk thousands upon thousands of miles was that everyone needed to know it. It's the same thing that drives you too. It's the same thing. I say it's prophetic and significant, not only because you're beloved missionaries of Damascus, but but like Paul, you've been caught up into the missio, the mission of Jesus, the mission that your marriage 
like your lives already, it's going to be different. It's going to look different. It's going to sound different. It's going to prioritize things differently. It's going to suffer things differently. It's just going to be different because Jesus is at the center and because you're on mission. You're on mission because you intend to be on mission. I don't simply mean that for the rest of your lives you're going to be missionaries at Damascus. Who knows if that's the case? But you're going to spend the rest of your lives, no doubt, glorifying the Lord by your married lives, by bearing fruit. By this is your Father glorified, that you would bear fruit. Your life is going to be fruitful. How? Because you're going to point to Him. Because it's what you've done. <laughs> it's what you've done. It's what you guys have wanted this day to be. Friends, this is, in my conversations with Adam and Brooke leading up to this wedding, we had to have a whole separate appointment of marriage prep because we wanted to talk about, they wanted to talk about their hopes and dreams and desires for what this mass would be. I don't typically do that with my married couples, with my engaged couples. It's not typically a focus. Their desire, their desire like their lives was that this mass would point us to Jesus, that we would spend this time together feasting on the richness of the Lord, the Word made flesh. They want the spotlight on Him. They want the spotlight on Him. That's why they've been so intentional about picking the readings, picking the music. I mean, the litany of saints, my God, that was so good. So good! The cutest little ring bears coming up the aisle. Oh my gosh. They want the spotlight on Jesus. So I want to be obedient to what they want. I want to be obedient to what they want. I want to, again, to use a Damascus line, I want to stay in my lane here. And I want to do what they've asked me to do, which is to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel, to reflect on the readings that they've selected, especially the first reading. I don't get a lot of time to preach on the first reading from the book of Tobit. It's a book that we don't tend to hear a lot about as Catholics. And if you're wondering, um, I've never heard of the book of Tobit, you might not be Catholic. It's one of those books that's uh, referred to as the Deuterocanonical or Apocrypha books. But believe me, it's an original book of the Bible. Okay, we can talk about that at the reception. So, what's the book of Tobit about? Let's talk about this. In the book of Tobit, we meet a, a woman named Sarah who has tragically been married six times already, six times prior. But she's never been able to consummate the marriage with her would-be husbands because the night of the wedding, the would-be husband is attacked by a demon. And he's killed the night of the wedding. Why did you pick this reading for your wedding? <laughs> so, when young Tobiah comes along and asks for this young lady's hand, he goes to her father, the father consents, and then immediately sends servants out into the yard to begin digging his grave. Because he's picked up on the pattern that this doesn't tend to turn out well for the, for the husband. So that's where we pick up. We enter this reading in the bridal chamber, the bridal chamber with Tobiah and his wife, and we hear his prayer. That's what the reading was. That was the, that's what the reading was. He says, sister, get up. Let us pray. And Tobiah calls down God's mercy upon him and his wife. He says this line, I take this wife of mine, not out of lust, but for a noble purpose, they both say amen, 
Amen, and they go to bed. Spoiler alert, Tobiah wakes up the next morning. He's, he makes it out alive. <laughs> yeah, Tobiah. <laughs> so St. John Paul II, when he's reflecting on this reading, he's been reflecting on this book, he points out how what we see at play in the book of Tobit is that the powers of life and death the forces of good and evil, like the grand drama that we're all caught up into, it all converges on the man and the woman. It converges on the husband and the wife upon matrimony, that something very grave is at stake. Heaven knows it, and so does hell. That's the point. That's the point. The enemy, yes, I'm talking about the enemy in a wedding homily. Okay, and again, I don't usually do that either. The enemy hates marriage. He loathes marriage. He abhors marriage. He hates it. He's after marriages. One of the names for the enemy is Satan, which comes from the Greek word satanas, which means the accuser. He's one who accuses. And the other name he has is devil, which comes from the Greek diabolane, which means the divider, the scatterer. That's what he wants. He wants to scatter. He wants to divide. In a moment after Adam and Brooke pronounce their vows, you'll hear me say what God has joined, no one must separate. That in this place, in this holy place, this church, God welds realities together by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what a church is. It's like a divine welding factory. At the Easter Vigil, in the exultant, we hear where things of heaven are wed to those of earth, the divine to the human, that it will happen on this altar. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, you two individuals will be welded together. What God has joined, no one must divide. But there is someone who wishes to split in two, to cleave into what God has joined, which brings, which begs the question, why? Why? Why is he after marriage? Why does he have his sights set on you two today? Like if you imagine like the diabolical headquarters, there's monitors and on one monitor, there's an image of you two. Why? Because of what God intended when he made them male and female from the beginning. You look in this church, you see these images, these beautiful icons these signs that the role of an icon is that it's meant to point to something beyond itself, that the greatest icon that God created was humanity, masculinity, femininity, the call of the two to become one flesh. The icon that God made in our humanity from the beginning is the most powerful icon. It's the most powerful sign that he created. He made us male and female from the beginning in his own image and likeness. This God who is, let us be reminded, this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an eternal exchange of life and love, this endless communion of life and love, when he made an image of himself in creation. He didn't just make a man, he didn't just make a woman, he made a couple whose bodies and souls are reciprocally ordered towards each other, both in love and complementarity and when the two become one, they become so much one that nine months later you have to give it a name. 
and then you are three in one. Just like our God, who is three in one. Like marriage was from the beginning, by God's intention, the sign that was meant to reveal who he is. It's as if from the beginning, the Lord has been trying to say to us, I am life-giving love. I'm life-giving love. I'm life-giving love. That's what I am. I'm life-giving love. And all of creation, all of creation reveals the creator, but nothing more so than husband and wife, man and woman from the beginning in the embrace of their love. But even more so, God established marriage to be the prototype, the, the sign that would reveal the nature, the character, the shape of our relationship with him. You still with me? This is a lot. You still with me? Okay. In this rubric, what God intended from the beginning is that all of humanity, all of humanity, men included, would stand in the posture of the bride. That's why all through the Old Testament, God is identifying himself as the bridegroom, Israel, his bride. That the covenants were these marital moments. He established marriage to be the sign that revealed that he doesn't want mere friendship. He wants a relationship with each of us, with each of you. Not just the missionaries, and not just priests and deacons. He wants a relationship with you that the least inadequate image is that of marriage. Yeah, he really wants to be that close. That's who our God is. All of humanity stands in the posture of the bride meant to be open to receive the love that pours out of the heart of the bridegroom. And where does that happen? That happens on the cross. That happens in this mass when the bridegroom, Jesus, will offer up his body, his flesh, for his bride. Just like a moment ago, we watched Brooke, the bride, walk down the aisle to meet her bridegroom, Adam. In just a moment, the entire bride, the church, will walk down the aisle to meet the bridegroom, Jesus, who will be hidden in the Eucharist. This is how the church understands these realities. He saves us by loving us, not by waving his hand in some royal decree. Like Good Friday was, wasn't a murder, it was a wedding when the bridegroom offered up his body and blood, his flesh for his bride, he came and he laid down his life for his bride. That's what you two are doing today. That's why you get married in a church in front of an altar with a crucifix in the background because you are entering into what he did. Your life is meant to reveal his love, his self-offering. All of this is why the enemy hates marriage. Because marriage makes God's love visible in this world. That's what your marriage will do if you remain in him, if you abide in him. Friends, he's chosen you. He's appointed you, we've heard, long before either of you chose him to go and bear fruit. Like the seed of your individual lives cannot bear fruit unless it falls to the earth and dies unless it relinquishes itself. So Adam and Brooke, in a moment, I will invite you to stand in front of the altar, in front of your friends and family, in front of the Lord himself to lay down your lives so that through and with and in Jesus, you may bear fruit abundantly.